Okay, good morning. morning. Everybody open open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Ready to go. Oh, by the way, I don't have anything. Oh, wait, no, actually I do. I have a a smidge. I have a smidge to go on today. Just a scotch, just a... I'm progressing. Come up here and typically feel like I got nothing. I got nothing. And we admit it because it draws us out of ourselves and puts it out in the open and we're not trying to wrestle with it inwardly. But the truth is, it's all the Lord's work. And that's my smidge. I'm going on them. I'm, I'm planting right there. I'm going to bet the farm on that. So here we are, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul is writing to the Corinthians. Let's see. I'm reading out of the New English Translation. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? We don't need letters of recommendation to you or from you as some other people do, do we? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone, revealing that you are a letter of Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on stone tablets, but on tablets of human hearts. Now we have such confidence in God through Christ, not that we are adequate, some definitions, some translations say competence. Mine says adequate. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as if it were coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God who made us adequate to be servants of the new covenant, not based on the letter, but on the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Verse seven. But if the ministry that produced death, carved in letters on stone tablets, came with glory so that the Israelites could not keep their eyes fixed on the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, a glory that was made ineffective, how much more glorious will the ministry of the Spirit be? For if there was glory in the ministry that produced condemnation, How much more does the ministry that produces righteousness excel in glory? For indeed, what had been glorious now has no glory because of the tremendously greater glory of what replaced it. For if what was made ineffective came with glory, how much more has what remains come in glory? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we behave with great boldness, And not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from staring at the result of the glory that was made ineffective. But but their minds were closed. For to this very day, the same veil remains when they hear the old covenant read. It It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. But until this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. 
Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is present, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces reflecting the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, which is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Hmm. I'm going to pray again. Lord, thank you for this passage, for these writings of Paul. Thank you for how you minister to so many people at that point in time through him and how you're still ministering all the way through history to us today with the same message. Um, Jesus, these are your words spoken through Paul. This is your work. And it's your glory, it's your plan that we're looking into today. And as Vero asked, I asked the same Lord, would you, would you take these words of mine and make them adequate for folks here today? And would you glorify yourself um, greater than, than these words or this dispensation of my efforts here, Lord? Would you glorify yourself uh, above and beyond uh, what I put out here today? Lord, would you bless it with your spirit uh, for the hearts and the ears that hear it? Lord, you, uh, you're so worthy and you are so great. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to rest in the fact that uh, it's all you. And uh, thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. So, a little bit of background in uh, 2 Corinthians here. It is 2 Corinthians, which means there was a 1 Corinthians. Um, and from what I gather... Uh, Paul is writing the second time around this second letter to the Corinthians um, with some conditions. Um, from what I understand, he was there. Uh, they set up shop, and he had to move on to tend to other matters. And while he was away, um, there were a group of teachers or a belief network that was <clears throat> also present in the area at the time uh, that revolved around the law, the Old Testament. And uh, he had told the Corinthians, hey man, I gotta go, I'll be back. And I'll be back at such and such a day, such and such a season. Um, and he wasn't able to make it on time. And because he wasn't able to make it on time, the religious sect that was also there decided to pounce and move in on uh, this group of believers and, and undermine and discount what Paul had initially set up. And so here he comes with this second letter uh, in order to engage that uh, situation. And he hits the... Uh, the point of conflict or confrontation um, square with calling it out um, what, what this other group was trying to do 
what they were setting up, Paul Paul calls it out. It, it is this um, this message that they were trying to convey or relay or get everybody drawn back into um, away from what Paul was t- teaching previously was was that they needed some sort of recommendation or commendation. Um, otherwise, they were illegitimate. They needed some sort of stamp of approval, some previously established stamp of approval. And if you didn't have that, then it wasn't it wasn't the real McCoy, and and you didn't have any business following along with anything other than what these people were um, trying to put out there. So, so Paul just draws that out. He says, this is what it is, this is what they're looking for, and uh, this is what they want. And do you really need that? There in verse one, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Again, because he had already done that. Paul's honestly asking these people, do you really need me to vouch for what I'm trying to teach here and the authenticity of it uh, and allow the people to to come up with their answer to that. He, he kind of throws this challenge down, but he leaves it up to the the people that he's trying to teach uh, to make that decision. And my point for this is that God doesn't need, and God's work does not need a certification or a stamp of approval by any man. That his covenant and his work is not interdependent on man's endorsement. My second point I want to make is that God's work in Christians also stands on its own, that his work individually in us stands on its own. So his. God's great commission, God's covenant, God's promises, God's work doesn't need man's endorsement and any work that he's done in any of us doesn't need some sort of authentication process by any other governing body apart from the mark of his spirit. My third point I want to make is just that. The workmanship of God is marked by glory. And fourth, our adequacy is from God. So one, God's covenant is not interdependent on man's endorsement. I talked about Paul having a conflict with other spiritual leaders at the time. That's that's the name of the story there. That's the point. Um,
So let's just rehash that a little bit. It says, we don't need letters of recommendation to you or from you as some other people do, do we? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone, revealing that you are the letter of Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but in the spirit of the living God, not on stone tablets, but on tablets of human hearts. And I love that, that metaphor, that translation, or that, that transfer of tablets to hearts because it infers that old versus new um, point that he's making. And it goes right at these spiritual leaders who are coming around with the, with the old way and trying to undermine um, this work of the, of the new covenant that Paul so earnestly uh, preached and taught to these people. It puts all the onus on God to display and stand for what he's done. It would be one thing for Paul to say, look, these people are coming at you and trying to bring about the old ways and put their stamp of approval on, on your spiritual teachings. But instead of that, I want you to take my stamp of approval. Paul doesn't pit his own stamp of approval on, on his followers. He steps aside and it says, you are a testament already. It is already on you to be seen by all. And it's God's work on you that it's the work of Jesus that gives you that distinction in the face of these other teachings and it's there for all to see. He proclaims it. And God doesn't God doesn't have to meet humans on a on a toe to toe. He doesn't have to go toe to toe with them when they when they try to work against his plan. His plan is, has already been set in motion since way super yesteryear and it's going to reach its fulfillment because it's God. And he said it, it's gonna get done. And Paul has such confidence in that. Such a relief and it's one I'm, I'm actually trying to um, allow, I think, just inwardly and personally. God has already set all of this in motion. And some of the lyrics from some of the songs, it's already, it's already done, it's already been written. And uh, it's so challenging sometimes to not um, fabricate uh, God's word into into our own version so that way we can either hand that out to other people that we want to become believers or to each other or any sort of discussion 
um, that we might have amongst ourselves, allowing Jesus' word and plan and, and, and record to stand on its own is one of the um, most powerful luxuries we have as believers. And Paul, Paul exemplifies that by, again, just putting it on the believers. Anybody that comes to you and says, hey, this is, this is what it's supposed to be. When Jesus has already ministered to you, uh, that shouldn't detract you for a second. You should almost be able to say, you know, stop right there. Take a look. You know, your, your laws, your old ways, they're not going to change me. But Jesus did, and he has. Second point, God's work in Christians. Here I go. God's work in Christians stands on its own. I mean, that's, they're one and the same, I suppose. God is not dependent upon man's endorsement of his workmanship. In fact, if it's not God's workmanship in you, and it's not the workmanship of Jesus in you, and you do try to rep that, represent that, I mean that's that's the greater counterfeit to be be running around and, and and not having that, not being not trusting the Lord and and the marks of his workmanship on you as a representation to others. Um, that's kind of almost worse in a way than, than just sticking to the Old Testament, if you ask me. I think the Lord has poured out so much and done such great works in all of our lives in different areas that if we don't allow that workmanship to shine through, somehow we, we muffle it with the law. Somehow maybe we do get tricked into thinking, oh, you know what, I'm not supposed to do this, I'm not supposed to do this, I'm not supposed to do this. And you, you get into this mindset of, of trying to live by the law. Um, it's almost like the Lord has to come back with a spiritual bust with with these behaviors and these decisions let his workmanship front and center your your witness your walk uh, your life so many nuances to to how we live is it's either Americans or or residents on earth, uh, allowing Christ to be front and center first and uh, following up all other areas in our life behind that is, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. It's an identity challenge uh, for sure. But God's work in you, it'll stand on its own. If you're recently moved from a situation, whether it's, say, just you know, a simple example like an illness or a sickness, and you needed the Lord's help, 
and he, he healed you. You get, you get the opportunity to put that out front and center and, and, and say, this is God's work in my life, and this is what he's done. And I guess the point I'm trying to make, because it's the point I try to draw out of myself, is I don't have to, I don't have to manufacture or fabricate my own version of the truth here in order for God's truth to be the truth with other people. And it's really... Um, it's really silly and maybe immature, but it, I'm going to be honest. It is something that I wrestle with because I struggle with what I think other people's interpretation of what I'm telling them is. I am, uh, I'm weak in that area. I, I, I know it when it happens, and I don't like it. Um, and, I, and I find myself kind of caught between two places. The Lord wants me to be a witness in the workplace and all of a sudden here comes an opportunity and somebody's asking me why I'm not doing something, you know, or not, you know, a conversation gets really off the rails and worldly and, and maybe gross or whatever or lewd or whatever and I kind of like, okay, I'm kind of going to pull my own, you know, card here, I'm out, I'm going to dip out of the conversation. It was fun up until that point but now, you know, it's, Folks are getting a little carried away or whatever. And they'll notice. They'll notice that I bag out. Oh, what's the matter? You know, what's the deal? Well, I have to offer an explanation. Or I may, you know, have an opportunity to witness or share a story. Anyways, we get in those situations and, and I have a tendency to go, oh, what is this person going to think about what I'm going to tell them next? How do I say what I'm going to say? And we're going to be all right after I say it. You know, it's like Jesus says, I'm the stumbling block, you know. And you're going to go out there and you're going to say, Jesus is my foundation. He's my cornerstone. But he's also the stumbling block. And you're going to put that thing out there and you're like, oh, man, I hope you don't stumble. You're probably going to, that person's probably going to stumble. And then they're going to be like, you tripped me up. You know. And so you, you got to let that work stand on its own. You got to put it out there. You've got to let the Lord do his thing. You've got to give yourself a break. That's what I'm telling myself. Give yourself the permission to let the Lord, the Lord's power, the power of Jesus, you've just spoken his name out loud personally and conversationally to this individual. Let that power do its job. doesn't mean uh, I'm talking to myself as much as anything. It doesn't mean just saying his name and running for cover. We're trying to redirect the fallout. Just let it happen. Doesn't need. It doesn't require two or three or four renditions in hopes of softening the blow. So again, yeah, that's, up to, that's as much to me as it is to what I'm trying to teach you all. It's, I, I wrestle with that. I struggle with that. Grew up uh, wanting to be somebody else to have a different name. I didn't like Jameson as a name. I wanted to be Rick or Steve. I grew up, you know, wanting to make other people like me. That was a big thing. Still kind of is from time to time. I'm like, eh. Put myself on that, on that throne in my heart going, oh yeah, you're just right. 
that just convince everybody else to see cool, great, neat of a guy that guy is. Uh uh. Oh, I love, I love what the Lord has given me to be um, confident about and uh, grateful for, and all of those little needs that I've tried to meet for myself and carving out my own image. The Lord just comes by with another representation and says, no, that's, that's not going to work for me, but I can do this for you. I can give you this and, and help you with that. And in fact, if I don't give it to you, what you're going to do here for yourself is get yourself hurt. No. So he's, he's so good. Uh, so that can lead me to my third point. The workmanship of God is marked by glory. So it's marked by glory. It isn't the trademark of the Old Testament endorsement. It isn't the self-fabricated point of uh, convincing, you know, trying to convince other people that Jesus is so great. It is in our efforts as we pass it along, as we pass along the, the message, as we seek to witness and, and serve and reach out to our neighbors and people around us. Um, it is God's glory that stands on its own and it's marked by glory. And we can see this as Paul discusses uh, this ministry that he's sought to plant in, in Corinth and in the ministry of the Old Testament, in the ministry of Moses. Four times Paul mentions glory regarding the Old Testament. Now, hold on, I'm, I might rabbit trail here. I think, I think Paul is using glory to, to disarm uh, these, these old teachers, or if they had a name, these infiltrators, these underminers, these people who are coming back with the old thing. Uh, Paul, I think he kind of bests them at their own game because he goes back to the Old Testament there's things that they're trying to peddle. In fact, I love that verse. Where did he put that? He calls them hucksters and peddlers in uh, chapter four, I think. Let's see, I thought I, thought I snagged that. I mean, how often do you see the word huckster? You huckster, fraud. Where is it? If anybody wants to peruse chapter four and find that, that'd be cool. But he, he bests these guys at their own game. 
when he brings up the Old Testament. Um, so let's read, let's reread that in chapter 3 at least. Uh, but if the ministry that produced death, there it is, uh, starting in, in verse 7, I'll reread it. But if the ministry that produced the death carved in letters on stone tablets came with glory so that the Israelites could not keep their eyes fixed on the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, a glory that was made ineffective, how much more glorious will the ministry of the Spirit be? For if there was glory in the ministry that produced condemnation, how much more does the ministry that produces righteousness excel in glory. For indeed, what had been glorious now has no glory because of the tremendously greater glory of what replaced it. For if what was made ineffective came with glory, how much more has what remains come in glory? And I'm sorry that I chose this passage because of this. I... Paul befuddles me, um, and he he talks in figure eights sometimes. Man, I just I I can't I can't follow him and unpack him. I like a good linear thought process, uh, like like James and, and Paul. Man, he just goes round and round with this. He he's he's rope a dope and dancing circles around these fools with this right here. These these guys that came in with the Old Testament trying to put their stamp of approval on things. He's like no 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 no. And then, glory, glory, that was old and it had glory, but this is glory, that, glory, that. And I don't think these guys had any glory attached to what they were talking about. I think Paul draws it out and he keeps hitting that word glory because that is what's missing from these old guys or from these hucksters, from what they're trying trying to peddle. They're missing the point and Paul is making it for them. So he's, he's engaged with their He's engaged their teaching. He, he's, he's called out what's missing from their teaching and then he transitions, you know, the people that he's uh, sought to um, bring up in Corinth with what they need. So he's doing three times the work and uh, it's, it's really interesting to see. And it's so hard for me to follow these verses because about the time I think I got him he goes and turns a corner like wait 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 I had you I had you but then if you stand back and look at it he's basically beating the glory drum and he hits it four times and because he does uh, it it means it's important right I'm going to say it again I'm going to say it again. The old law of Moses, it came in glory. How great was that? That's what he says. How great was that? And it had some glory to it, didn't it? In the Old Testament, that was pretty amazing. Moses going and talking to God, God passing by him. Comes back. He's glowing. The Israelites can't hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause. Yes, Chris. I'm sorry? It is made new in Jesus. Amen. And that is 
the point he's trying to draw these people to, saying, hey, you had this old glory, and it was glorious, so glorious that Moses' face was shining, and those people couldn't stand to look at him. It was too much. And they went and put a veil over his face. And it seemed that initially, and this is some clarification that, that might be needed, he put a veil on his face to hide his face from the Israelites, but not primarily because the glow was so obnoxious. Like, Man, you gotta cover that thing up. That's too, oh, too much. But because the glory was dwindling and he had just captured the Israelites' attention with these commandments and this glow and all of a sudden, man, if they see this glow fade, I might lose my audience and who knows what they'll do next. So we're going to keep the shroud on it so they don't know that the light's burned out. And we're just going to get them to remember the law. Just do these things, these commandments. And that's how they lived. And that's, that's what they pursued. And that was God's plan. I think it's super fascinating, sidebar, rabbit trail. I think it's super fascinating that Moses... Uh, went up and spoke with God and had that whole exchange and God puts him in the cleft of the rock and says, okay, I'm going to cover you with my hand and I'm going to pass by you. Don't look. First of all, it's fascinating that God has gone from one place to another. That his presence, God is omniscient, everywhere all the time, knows all things, nothing gets by him. But he has more of a center that had moved from somewhere because it met Moses where he was at. And that it passed by him. There was, there was, a, there was a proximity change there with God. And I just, that just blows my mind. And that we're headed for him and for that. That's also pretty wild. And Moses has this opportunity to be with God. And God is like, here, I got some things for you. I'm going to set these down here. Take these with you when you leave. That's for them. Moses gets to see the fulfillment of the law. I don't know if this is, this might be riffing a little too hard, but Moses sees the fulfillment of the law because God is perfect. But he's, he's got the law simultaneous. And it's just, he gets a foretaste while everybody else on the bottom of the mountain has got a bunch of work to do. And you'd almost think, man, that just him coming off the mountain glowing and bringing this 
Wouldn't that have just generate enough momentum to just move us forward? Okay, let's go. Look what happened to Moses. I want that. What do we got to do? Here's your instructions. Okay, let's do it. Man, but that's not God's plan. God's plan is to, he's, he's got all history, generations, super past, super future, in the present, all powerful, one day at a time, one step at a time, one, one glory at a time. End of sidebar. The workmanship of God is marked by glory. The old covenant, though difficult and condemning, is still attached to glory. It is, it is a glorious thing that God had moved his proximity. He had changed proximity to bring this thing to Moses, and that Moses got to see this amazing uh, peripheral of the moving in and proximity change of God himself though hidden God putting his hand to cover you know God is so powerful that he has to protect us from himself it isn't you know that's crazy that's another sidebar toy with and think about that is so amazing covers him Moses comes down there is a glory attached to that whole event but it ends up behind a veil because it's a limited time event it has a expiration date it only lasts as long as it needs to which is where God inserts the greater part of the plan, his son Jesus, to pick up and move it into the eternal. God gave a temporary glory for a temporary time so that the eternal glory for the eternal time, for all of eternity, the glory of Jesus would come along and could come along next. God's plan, the 30,000 foot view, is it's just amazing. I don't know if any of you have taken Justin Thomas's history of redemption class but he goes through the whole Bible and breaks it down God's plan from you know God's covenant with with Eve all the way throughout history and and man what a view and what a plan um And it's marked with glory. The new covenant, well, that glory, that's, that should be easy to see, I think, with any one of us and hopefully by all of us. The glory of the new covenant that Paul has uh, nurtured uh, in these 
and his followers in Corinth. That's, that's the eternal one. It's the one that we share with all people. It's not the glory that we hold over other people's heads saying you need to have this, otherwise, well, this approval or this, this process or this procedure. No, this, this glory is a, it's marked and it's, its maker is Jesus and the work that he's done on each of our lives. The glory that Paul uh, jettisons his people into from where they were being kind of dragged from or dragged back to with these old hucksters is, is much more, it has great breadth and much more in depth and all-encompassing because it's not just selectively to the Jews, it's to all people. It's the new covenant. Uh, it's God taking the, taking the next steps in his, in his proclamations. You know, he wanted Israel to be that light to all the world. Well, I got stuck in the law. God is going to make the light to all the world through his son and all people. So God has opened up the floodgates. There is no veil to this glory. It's there in Christ for all to see, which doubles back to Paul's point, not my point, but I'm making that point, that his workmanship is there for all to see and it can stand on its own because it's the work of God. It doesn't require our enhancements. So let's, let's take that more into an individual perspective. Let's go to the 10-foot view of what God's glory, my point four, his adequacy is and what that can look like uh, in each of us at any point in time um, or how it comes about. Um, because if it's not a stamp of approval that's recognized by all men, but it's the work of God that's recognized by all men, how do we, how do we how do we explain that? How do we represent that? Or how do, how do we know that, that it is and, and are able to convey that in those conversations in our workplace or in our relationships or with total strangers? Do you guys feel the struggle of self-fabricated versus God-authenticated mission, witness, I do. We have hucksters in the world, much like Paul had hucksters in Corinth, that though what he's saying or they're saying and doing, it's kind of obvious that it's not the real deal. 
And so, to those of us who are seeking to carry out the new covenant and see Christ's power work around us and into the lives of the people that we're in touch with, we can take some solace in the fact that maybe those people know what a, a rotten fish smells like already. And so when they find out you're a Christian or when you start to tell them I'm a Christian or you explain why you're not participating in the, the dialogue anymore because it's a little convicting if you do, they're going to... They're gonna, is that, is that the dead fish version? Because that guy, that guy's a fraud. And so they're going to want to know if you're authentic. And if you are waffling like I have done, and you're trying to give that authenticity off, man, you gotta, you got to let them trip on that stone. Or you gotta let them, you gotta give them room to see that Jesus is your cornerstone and you have a host of things built on that. You have a host of glories built on that. And you gotta let them see it for what it is because they're looking anyways. They are not looking to measure out your life by your standard. They have their own standard and and they'll, they may have a, a small list of reasons why they don't want to believe what you're telling them. And then they may just throw those out. They've got those on the ready. Or they've, they've aligned themselves with somebody else who said the same darn thing. And they're like, you know what? That works for me. Bible's a bunch of super old fairy tales. I heard dude say that. I agree. You're Christian. Witness your faith. Nah, not legitimate in my eyes because I'm throwing out it's a bunch of fairy tales card walking away. You're out. You're illegitimate in my eyes. Hey, you're just there to show the truth that God's given you, the glory that he's put on you and in you and to step aside anyways. You don't have to go grabbing that person's ankle. No, no, please don't believe that the Bible's a bunch of fairy tales. Please, please, I'm trying to tell you the truth. Uh-uh. That dude's betting his farm on the fact that God's word is a bunch of fairy tales. He's building a house on the sand. We all know that old parable. We know what happens. We can be there to pick him up if the house falls. We can continue to come by and be gentle and generous and caring and concerned. And we can go secretly pray for that man's benefit that he would recognize the mercy and the generosity and the power and the love of God apart from our brief interaction. And let God, let the power of Jesus have its place. Let God's glory work. Now I want to talk about maybe a little bit of our own glories, glory to glory, and why that's also important to us here as a church, not just as in why it's important 
to our faith, why we reach out and share it with others. Please, though, do hear that, that let God's work in you be his legitimate workmanship and on his power and on his strength and by his might and not your own efforts. Whatever you do, whatever you do, let the power of Christ and the work that he's done stand for itself, by itself. You know, the less we, we muddy things, unless you're an expert like Paul. Or Paul had already done that with these people and then these hucksters come along and try to muddy it up. And then Paul, he's, he's great at it. Um, he can come in and clear the matter without having to do a bunch of uh, convincing other than, hey, let the word of God, let God's work stand on its own. So let's, let's grab that and hold on to that. Let God's work stand on its own. And then thirdly, um, or fourthly, this part at the end of 2 Corinthians 3, after Paul has beat the drum about how great the new glory is, and it is, it is far better than the Old Testament, the glory of Christ removing the veil from, from our eyes. Even if we didn't grow up under Old Testament teaching, we had a veil, we had a blindness, and uh, Christ has lifted that from us. We see that we have a relationship with the Father because of what he's done and we, that we didn't have that before. And from all that, we have so much potential and possibility and access to power and uh, access to transformation that, uh, that wasn't ours before when we were trapped in sin or slavery. It's so great and glorious. But uh, I wanna talk about kind of his final use of the word glory here at the end. And this was my point for picking this passage was this glory to glory bit because I'm a huge fan of Christ's work in others as well as Christ's work in myself. I am seeking Christ's work in myself. If I wasn't, then I'd be plateaued out and uninterested and unengaged and I probably wouldn't even come. I don't know if I would bother. I don't know, fellowship with y'all is pretty great though, so guys are, I do love hanging out with you. Um, but if I, wasn't, if I wasn't interested in knowing where God is in, in my own heart and where he's bringing me in, and if I didn't know that God uh, was powerful enough to engage me where I'm at, you know, I, I don't know why I would bother. But I do know these things. I do know that God is, is the most powerful being in all of creation. And he was there before creation. God has always been. He always will be. Um, I know that. Uh, I believe it and, 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 and I know it. And I don't question it. I don't argue with it. I'm not, I don't have that luxury because God has spoken to me in my heart of hearts. Um, and that's a, that's a glory that, uh, that I'm willing to give him at this point. I, 
not willing. <laughs> Again, I kind of don't have the luxury. God has, God, has, God has called me out on the carpet in front of himself before uh, in very detailed, um, specifics. And when he does that to you, you, you start to realize, man, God is for real. He's not messing around. He knows me through and through. And because he knows this, uh, I don't have the luxury to, to think that he's not there anymore, that he's just the subject of some fairy tales. And I'm glad I don't have that luxury. Actually, I'm glad I don't have that. I don't, there's no back door to this. God has shut the back door behind me. He's like, eh, you're not going anywhere. Like, okay, scary. But that glory to glory, that's uh, the way Paul uses that. I don't know what you think of when you hear that from glory to glory. I'm gonna read the, read the verse here. talking about the veil being removed. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is present, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces reflecting on the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, which is the Lord who is the spirit. From one degree of glory to another, and this harkens back to what Mike was teaching on last week in 1 Samuel. There's a transformation taking place. He's talking about the transformation of David and how David, David had his choices revoked from him too. David is going on what God has given him. He's out of options. He just, shepherd boy, hey dude, come here. Hey, okay. You know what? The, the, the shepherd's pen that was closed behind him when he, when Samuel called him out, when God said, that one. And then God is bringing David forward and he's gonna make him a king because that's his 30, 300,000 foot view plan. He's, he's moving forward, he's working the pieces, he's got Saul in there. Saul is not liking it, Saul's getting his own taste of of. of You know, a bitter glory. God's going to glorify himself in Saul. Saul doesn't want to go along with it, so Saul gets the, Saul gets a, a rough lot because of his choices and, and how he decides to glorify God. He, he reacts with those, some of the ways that, that I have or we do where you're like, I don't, I don't like what they're saying about me. I'm good. I, I would, I would much rather, I was the one that was being touted and and old David's getting all the credit and glory. Anyways, from glory to glory, I picked this, and Mike used it last week, and it is, it is a theme, and it is something I think we can all talk about, think about, and relate to. And I wanted to hit on that glory to glory bit, because to me that sounds like a stepping stone process or a from one to another. He says from one degree to another. And I was looking at this scripture, and God bless Mike for saying, hey man, stand back, take a look at what God's saying in the word and allow that to speak for itself. You don't have to embellish it with all your riffs and experiences and stuff like that. And, uh, and so I, I was like, okay, Mike, I'll do that. And I read it and I came back in 
And I, my narrow focus was from glory to glory, that's us going step by step from one to another, from one transition, from one change to another. It's, it's on, on, a, on a minute scale, but clever Paul here, he says from glory to glory, he started this thing with talking about a glory, an Old Testament glory and a New Testament glory. Paul is saying from glory to glory, we're being transformed. And it, it made me ask, well, is it, is it a double definition? Can I say from glory to glory when Paul has, has suddenly made it obvious in my understanding that it's from the old glory of the Old Testament to the glory of the New Testament of the New Covenant, is it not also or can it also be our individual step-taking or transformation that God is bringing us through? I don't see anything in there saying it not supposed to be or it can't be and I'm definitely not seeing anything in there that says that's the only way it should be I mean it's God's glory regardless of where the bookends are whether it's Old Testament or New Covenant fulfilled those are his boundaries and if we're on this little and we are this little time scale some of us might get 90 to 100. Some of us maybe only 70 or 80. We got this time scale and we've got this, this point from which we either lived by the law and then came to know Jesus or we lived by a set of laws or laws unto ourselves, and then came to know Jesus. There is an old glory that we all had. None of us were out of the womb with new glory. And we came to this new glory in Christ. And there are these individual glories that I think are important. I think we have, to, we have to be able to notice them. We don't have to convince the whole world that they occur. We just need to know that they're his in us, for us, and, but for him. It's this this multi-relational dynamic we have with Jesus when he transforms us. He takes our sin and he exchanges it for his righteousness. We don't deserve that. We recognize that and we glorify God for doing that. Thank you, God, that you gave me your righteousness because I was a corrupt, drunken brawler and a thief and an adulterer and a liar and you're going to take all that you're not going to hold me guilty for those things and you're going to give me your righteousness instead because those things are killing me I'm this close to to not making it God and you're going to give me your provision for me instead Really, I mean, at the point, it was like, it was more like, God, will you? Will you still do this? Because I had heard about it. I had known about it. I grew up a little believer, a little mini believer, keeping, keeping the conscience of God at bay with my poor choices. Like, yeah, I know, God, you don't want me to do that, but I think you might let me ignore you. I'm going to go do this. And I got myself in a host of trouble. But I knew what God's promise was. Hey, man, I died for that sin. I have the power to forgive you that. You don't have to do those things. 
they were going, no, did him, did him, did him, all the way up to a jail cell in the middle of this, on and on and on and on. And it was like, man, I wonder if God, I wonder if Jesus still means what he said. Because this is it. If I don't take it, if it's not there anymore, this really is it for me. God, is it still, is that offer still good? Man, the offer's still good. Praise Jesus. And that's one glory. We can glorify him for what he gives us instead of what we deserve. And then there are glories of transformation all along the way, no matter where you're at and what you're going through. God knows it. He may be intending it. may be seeking God for something and it's not happening and you really want whatever it is and you're like, come on, God, this thing. And it's not happening. And you're out of individual options to bring that thing around, whatever it is. It's kind of silly, but and it's kind of immature maybe. Mine's, I really want a truck. Isn't that stupid? I say it out loud, it sounds stupid. But by myself, I'm like, man, I really want this thing. I really want it. No, no, it doesn't, it's not, no, no. Well, why not, why not, why not, why not? I've got this, 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 and this, and this. I should. I've got this, this, and this. I should. <laughs> by other people's examples, by mimetic desire, I see all these other people with trucks. I want one. No, 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 no. I'm empty. I'm out. I got nothing left. To twist God's arm with, give me a truck. I know that's that's not not a a truth. I'm not trying to twist God's arm, but I, you know, I think you guys get what I'm saying. It's a silly example, but he has emptied me of myself to this point where I have to not care about the dang truck so much and really get that out of the way. I have to care more about where he's at in my life and what he's doing. And it's a hard thing. Mike was talking about it last week. It's a dying to yourself. It's a crucifying. I have to pick up my cross. I don't get a pickup truck. I get a pickup cross. And it hurts. It sucks. I hate to say it, but I hope you all know what I'm talking about. It hurts. But it's a glory. Is not what we get in exchange from Christ far greater. And that is the glory. From glory to glory. And all of these specific glories, y'all, if you can compartmentalize or condense or focus on 
any of your individual glories and know them from him, by him. Look at the marks that Jesus has put on those and made them specifically shared with you. It is such a powerful thing to hold and it's such a powerful thing to share. And it's, it's not just for you and for him, it is for all of us. And this is gonna be my final point. After I'm done talking, after we close with some songs and after we take communion, we're gonna fellowship together. And this fellowship is it's important to the elders and important to Mike because we had good fellowship and we were growing and we were knitting together and we were dedicated to each other and then COVID came and we and now we're slowly coming back together or we have slowly come back together and now we are getting back together. We are, we are in prime position to pick up where we, where we were sidetracked from. And we've, we've gone off the road, you guys. 2020 went off the road. Guys, we're back on the road. Okay, okay. Settle down. I mean, God's the one doing the driving anyways. But really, if you've ever been off the road and then tried to get back on, it's a little scary, right? That's the only thing you want is to get right back to where you were. You don't want to be off. We don't want to be off the, the ditch and, and broke down. And I think by God's grace, I mean, look at the number of us here. Thank God for that. I didn't expect half of you guys here today. It's a little intimidating. But we're all here together. And we get to share with each other where we're at with Jesus today with whatever it is, whatever glory he's working out with you, we get to share that. I don't know about the rest of you, but I feed off that because I get kind of lost wondering where God is in my own life. Where are we at, God? I'm kind of plateaued out here a little bit. I'm stuck on this, really wanting this pickup truck thing. Other than that, man, it's another passing day. But when I hear about Christ at work in somebody else's life, regardless of of how big or small. I just want to know Jesus is really real to you like he is to me because it makes me turn back to him and say, man, you're so good. Look at what you're doing over there. God, wow, you do that for him. You probably, if I ever have the same thing, you, you'll be there for me, you know? And so we get this opportunity to fellowship and share what Jesus is doing in each of us and if you don't do it here with fellowship by golly I hope you're in a small group or that you're calling each other and that you're encouraging each other because we are back on the road we're back in traction we can't afford to stay in the ditch for another year we can't afford to do this online distance faith thing it doesn't it's not part of his it's not part of the plan God's Long distance plan is all of us together in him anyway, so you might as well. None of us, if we're believers, going anywhere forever. We're all stuck with each other. I'm, I'm glad for that, actually. I'm really, really glad for that. That's what I got. Let's pray. And we'll take communion. Bob, do we have one or two songs for communion? Two. Jesus, yours is all the glory. 
Yours is the glory, Lord Jesus. This work that you've done, substituting yourself and exchanging our follies and etc. for your righteousness, for your covering, for your protection, for your provision. Why they called it the glory of glories. It is the center. It is the mere fact that we are in the presence of God again. Jesus, your word says where two or more are gathered, there you are in the midst of them. I'm not gonna argue with that. I'm gonna count on it. I ask you, Lord, to lift the veil, if there is one on any of us. I'm gonna ask you to speak to them like you speak to me. I ask you to be precious to them like you are to me. I'm going to ask you, Lord, to work out our faith, help us to be transformed from one glory to the next for your glory so that when we leave our presence with each other here and our presence is still with you and we don't really remember that, and we go out from here and we go one by one like a pinball, person to person, interaction to interaction. We are covered by you. We rub off, or some of you just are so busy, Lord, but you have put Everyone in our lives are there for a reason. And just ask for your, your glory to be spread around by us. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that this is all your work. Thank you for giving me uh, the words, the time to study, the support, and, uh, and that I can, I, can, I can step off at any second now. It's all your work. Thank you so much for that, Lord. Thank you for your, uh, your adequacy that you bestow on each of us, and thank you for um, your workmanship uh, standing on its own. <laughs>